Shelley Miscavige. She has not appeared in public since 2005. Where's Shelly and what happened? Where is Shelly? We're looking at like 17 years of a person just missing. Shelly Miscavige was given into the sole care of L. Ron Hubbard by her parents when she was 12. This is where Shelly is believed to be being held captive. Do you believe that Shelly Miscavige is a threat today? Oh, absolutely. She's seen it all. She's been by his side the whole time. Welcome to the channel. Thank you for being here. This is an episode of Where is Shelly Miscavige? Um, as always, if you like our content, please don't forget to subscribe and hit that bell notification so you are notified of new content we release. My guest for today, welcome back, Mr. Mark Fisher. Hi, Claire. How are you doing? I'm good. How are you doing? Doing good. Doing good. I'm, you know, everything's going well. Awesome. And before we launch into our episode for today, um, just to cover a few things, I will link to the two episodes we did regarding your story in Scientology. And I will okay. also link to your YouTube channel with Janice Gillum Grady and yourself. That's great. That's great. Awesome. It's our Scientology stories, Peeling the Onion with Mark nice. Fisher and Janice Gillum Grady. Nice. I can't. I'm looking forward to all your content. It's awesome to be expanding the SPTV network here. <laughs> exactly. Yes. Awesome. Well, just for your sake and for those listening who might be joining for the first time in this Where is Shelly series, um, I was inspired to do this series because I knew Shelly for 13 years while I worked at the headquarters, uh, Scientology headquarters in Gilman Hot Springs. I then worked with Shelly very closely for eight years um, during the time that I was in Religious Technology Center. And actually, for four of those years, I was reporting to Shelly directly on an almost daily basis where she was essentially running me as my direct boss. So, for example, I had to show her my daily targets of what I was going to accomplish that day, etc. And um, and so I I wouldn't consider, and I've never considered that anyone at that property were friends, quote unquote. That was not mm -hmm. the environment we lived in. But I knew Shelly. I respected her. I believed that she was someone who cared very deeply about other people. I certainly know that she objected to the, to the abuses that I personally witnessed from David Miscavige. And so I was inspired to explore the life of Shelley in response to the to the now viral question, where is Shelley Miscavige? And to me, and I'm sure you'll agree, and I'll get your comments on this here shortly. Yes, mm -hmm. it's shocking that David Miscavige's wife has been missing for 18 years. But to those of us yeah. who worked with her, more importantly, the second most senior executive in Scientology, essentially the first lady of Scientology, has also vanished. Right. Yeah. So that that was my inspiration here as to what brought us here. And and I know that you knew Shelly and, and know Shelly and worked with her personally for many years. And so I yeah. appreciate you being here. Yeah, no problem. Yeah, I, I first met her in uh, 1976, so she had to be, I think she was still going to high school. She had to be 16 years old, I think, or something, because um, 
that's when I first met David Miscavige as well was in July, 1976. And, yes. uh, you know, and then I was, I was, you know, I knew Shelly all during that time. And then I finally left in uh, September of 1990. And the last six years, uh, six and a half years I was there, I worked with her directly daily. I mean, she, uh, you know, David Miscavige was really my boss, but because she worked for David, then basically she was my boss too. Yes. So you knew her for a total of, what is that, 14 years? Yeah. Wow. Mm-hmm. And so where were where were you when you first met her in 76? Well, I, I just joined the CU organization in Clearwater, Florida, and uh, I got down there and i I didn't know who what the Commodore's Messenger Org is, which are the messengers that work directly with Hubbard. But uh, because I was just graduated high school myself, uh, you know, they they said, "How how would you like to work with L. Ron Hubbard?" And I said, "Of course, yeah, I would love to do that." But anyway, um, I just remember meeting Shelley because at that time the the messengers that were in Clearwater were actually uh, working at night and they were handling uh, the communications coming to and from L. Ron Hubbard because he wasn't in that location. He actually was in California. So they were working at night and handling his uh, telex traffic and different communications to the base. And okay. I just remember meeting Shelly at that time. And of course, Dave was my roommate I, uh, for you know the three weeks that I was there. So Yes. And what were your first impressions of Shelly at that time? Well, I, I'm a guy and I was 17 years old. And so, you know, my first impression was, of, wow, she's really hot. You know, uh, <laughs> she had long blonde hair and she was really cute. And I just remember the first time seeing her in the conference room uh, that we that was the CMO office, basically, in the Fort Harrison. And uh uh, she was reading or doing something, but she was really into John Travolta because uh, John Travolta, you know, was had had just made it big with Welcome Back, Cotter, and Saturday Night Lot Fever had come out, but not Grease yet. But he had recorded a music album, and she had it, and she was talking about it, and she really uh, enjoyed John's uh, music. That's that was what my initial impressions were of her when I met her. Understood. And then what would be your next your next interaction after that first meeting? Well, then it then it, it was several years until I saw her again because uh, she got, you know, she went and moved to, you know, with El, to work with L. Ron Hubbard directly uh, in um, uh, at what was uh, with Winter Headquarters, WHQ, and that was out La Quinta, California, and then eventually ended up at Gilman Hot Springs, which everybody knows is the international base in the Golden Era Productions. And that's when I saw her again, and that would have been ni- until 1981, I think it was, that I that I came back to the base and I actually saw her then. Okay. And sorry, just to back up for one second, you mentioned that she it, when you were in Clearwater, she was go- you mentioned she was going to high school? Yeah, the, the the messengers that were under 16 had to go to high school. Uh, they went to Clearwater High School, the public high school. Like my future future wife, Julie, and Mark Yeager, Julie Catano and Mark Yeager, yeah. and Shelly, the three of them had to go to high school for a short period of time daily and then do their post work at night. Wow, and then as I soon no as they turned, Yeah, and then as soon as they turned 16, they didn't have to. But it was a legal requirement because, you know, they were trying to keep in legal, you know, legally keep their rudiments in as far as uh, um, living in Clearwater. Because at the time, they were having trouble with Clearwater um, 
you know, for buying the Fort Harrison Hotel and all that. So that's right. what happened. Under, under false yeah. subterfuges. So, that's right. <laughs> so it was not that she was – so the purpose of her going to school or of any of those um, teenagers at the time going to school, it was not to get their high school diploma. It was simply to keep the authorities off their back until they turned age 16. That's correct. And I and I, I was like, I had just graduated high school the month before, and I, I had my high school diploma and everything. And I'll never forget Dave Miscavige looked at my diploma because I had it with me in, in our dorm room. And he said, oh, my God, you graduated high school. He says, the only person who's who's done that in the, in the Commodore's Messenger. Or, uh, and we, we had a good laugh about it. But, um, <laughs> oh, yeah, they, you know, Hubbard wasn't big on, on – and with both Dave and Shelley years later is we're not that aware of what was going on in the world or what the history was of our country or what, you know, how government worked or, um, you know, it just basic reading and writing. I mean, they could read and write, but I meant like the things you learn in, in junior high and high school, they, right. you know what I mean? In terms of those, yeah, things, and for that matter, even, Scientology even, stuff, but, yeah, but not even, into the, even the laws of the land. Yeah. Like, not, we, we learned Scientology policy as our overriding operating laws. Wouldn't you agree with that? Well, exactly. Like the, our constitutional rights that you learn in school, you know what I mean? The Bill of Rights of Freedom, they go, oh, freedom of religion. Yeah, of course. But then there's other freedoms that you have, you know, and uh, they never teach those in Scientology. So if you're a kid and you're growing up in this stuff, you, you just don't learn them, and, you know, unless you read about them on your own. Right. Yeah, really good point. Okay, I mean, I, awesome. I don't know what uh, yeah, your experience. I, I know you grew up in England. Yeah. Yes. No, I never I never graduated high school either. Um I right. joined the C organization when I was 16. But um but so getting back to Shelley in this series, I've as I mentioned at the beginning, I've been exploring and learning so much about her life. That's why I just was curious about that high school piece. Um, but I don't know if you know this. Shelley's family got into Scientology when she was just four years old. Yeah, I, I did. I did know that, that she got in very young, just like yeah. Yeah, you know the other messengers that were on the Apollo, because she had been on the Apollo on the ship, and she was a you know. Um, she wasn't an original messenger, but she was in the second wave of messengers, and she did work with L. Ron Hubbard closely on a daily basis. Yes. You know? um, and I'm sure you've heard stories, or you will hear stories, too, about how because she was younger, she was she was kind of treated like like a little kid by the other yes. messengers who are more senior. So they didn't right. really t cotton to her too much. You know, they, they – and, uh, and she felt resentment towards them for that. And that I saw that exhibited years later where, you know, she, she had resentment towards the messengers who were original messengers, people like Janice Gillum Grady and Terry Gamboa and, uh, uh, Annie Broker and, and Clarice and things like that, where that they, they basically treated her more like a kid. Um, mm. and she didn't Even particularly to care Clarice, for that. Her, her own sister. No, not that Clarice. It was Clarice oh, herself. She was oh, clearly just pop them, okay. yeah. yeah, and uh, and then I think Dee Dee Reesdorf. Anyway, but 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 I'm not missing a few of them, but I'm just saying that she always felt because she was younger. You know what I mean? The younger messengers, there was a there was an age gap, you know, with them. And I'm she probably was close with Annie later on. Um, yeah, she was. But uh, on the ship, there, you know, the older kids 
ran off you know, like we were teenagers, you know, and she probably was what, 10, 12 years old, you know, yeah. she's very young. And so they didn't particularly hang out. I see. Yeah. Interesting. All right. Well, so cutting back. So now m- moving forward, the next time you run into Shelly, you're at Gilman Hot Springs. That's right. And get, uh, I, uh, Gilman Hot Springs at the time, I didn't work with her or anything like that, but she just was at the base. Um, and then eventually, uh, what I really remember is, is when um, she became uh, Misca- David Miscavige's assistant. They were already married at the time, but she had been the commanding officer of the Commodore's Messenger Union unit at Golden Era Studios. She was in charge of uh, the CMO. They had, they had a Commodore's Messenger unit there um, that basically handled all the messenger duties there at, at the international base and, and the, the movie studio. And in that unit, they had like, they had, they actually were training up messengers on duty who would actually work directly daily with L. Ron Hubbard when he came back to the to the property because the whole purpose was for the base was so that he could come back and do his research and film his movies and do his audio recording and everything there. But at the time that I got there, he, Elron Hubbard had, had, had run off and hid because of all the lawsuits and the IRS and the government coming after him. And so he was off with, you know, Pat and Annie broker. And so, you know, we would get communications and things, but the whole purpose of us being there at the base was, you know, getting thing, getting it ready for him to come back so that he could do his movies and do his research. And so Shelly was in charge of that Commodore's messenger org uh, at the gold base. Okay. And so that was her duty at the time when I, when I first saw her again, she was on that. Okay. And, and so what year was this roughly? Do you remember? 1981. Yeah, okay. okay, and she was already married to David Miscavige by this point. Yeah, she was married to Dave, David then, um, uh, and, and so she was in charge of that unit, but she got removed, and I don't know exactly why she removed from that unit. Uh, there are other people that they'll, they'll, they will know the, the details of that. But so yes, when I it, saw her, she actually Yeah, no, was, it's it's interesting that you mentioned that because when I was talking with Jackson, Gary Jackson Moorhead, he was mm-hmm. um, assigned as guard to both Shelley and Janice when they were yeah. having to do heavy manual labor. It's like, oh, yeah, I was going to say, she was doing manual labor at the time at the time, uh, they were doing renovations uh, for the Star of California, the, the ship, right. uh, the, yes. the, the swimming pool that was turned into, uh, you know, a clipper ship, you know, and you know what it is. But, yes. um, you know, they, we were doing that renovation and the whole whole purpose was, was to get the base ready because the idea was L. Ron Hubbard was going to come back. And the sooner right. we got it done, you know, everything's always a, an emergency. So they were working around the clock and she was doing that kind of work. Yes. But what happened then was um david was out uh miscavige was out in los angeles and uh he had two positions he 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 wasn't the come you know the uh chairman of the board of anything yet at that time he was the action chief of cmo international the action chief is the person who runs missions and sends them out to handle things right and he yes. had done that so, for several so still years a senior and then he also but not, but not top dog Oh, oh, yeah, yeah. He was a senior executive, but he was not the big boss. He was right. not the big boss in those days. Um, so he was the action chief CMO 
uh, international, but he also was uh, the heart, uh, special project ops was his was his actual title that they did. In other words, uh, he was a special projects operator, which was basically a mission operator. But the special project that was going on was the reorganization of the Guardian's office, the corporate sort out of Scientology, the lawsuits, the setting up of author services, all of the stuff that needed to be handled for what we called an all clear for L. Ron yes. Hubbard to come back to the international base so he could make his movies, do his recordings, do his research. Right. Okay. Yes. So he was doing that. All right. And there stood, there was a CO, a commanding officer of CMO International, who was above David Miscavige at that time. At the time, it was DD Research. Okay. And then I, I don't need to go into the details on that, but she got removed. And then so yes. then John Nelson had, was the commanding officer that he got removed. Okay. And that's when DM started taking over. But anyway, so Shelly, he, he, he had an assistant, like a communicator assistant in Los Angeles with him. Um, I'm not going to mention who her name was, uh, because she's kind of under the radar. Um, okay. but anyway, she, that, the, the, the woman who was his assistant got in a serious car accident, like a really serious car accident and was in the hospital and almost died. So oh, nice. at, at the same time that, that Shelly had been removed as the Commodore's messenger or, um, commanding officer at gold, this, at the, at the same time, this other woman had had this bad car accident. So wow. he needed another assistant. So he scooped up Shelly. And they, they were see. together. Uh, I didn't, uh, from I didn't, that point I didn't on. have the connection of the, of how yeah. she came to work for him directly. Yeah. Cause that is very unusual yeah. in the C organization. There's uh, only a handful yeah, a of examples Yeah. Couples working together. Yes. Yeah. Particularly since he was, he was not the senior um, executive that he later became, but he right. was able to get, the work he was doing was considered so important that, you know, he, his wife, I need somebody. So he, he, he scooped her up. And then that, then she was in Los Angeles working as his assistant, um, you know, during that time. Okay. Understood. And then, so then the next major interaction you had with Shelly was during your time in religious technology center. Well, it was before that. Uh, it was okay. when it was when we set up what the, what happened was um Miscavige, like I said, was handling all of the uh legal and corporate sort out stuff. He then yes. became the chairman of the board of author services, right? Which was L. Ron Hubbard's for profit corporation. And Shelley yeah, worked his, for him his there. Literary literary organization. Yeah. Yeah. But, but what happened was that, that Miscavige also though was the he was the conduit to L. Ron Hubbard, all traffic and communications, any submission, any anything had to go through him to go up to, uh, you know, Pat Broker would then pick it up and then take it to L. Ron Hubbard. And that was the only communication line to L. Ron Hubbard. So Miscavige and Shelley would have to come back and forth to the gold base because they spent majority of their time in LA okay. and back and forth. Well, L. Ron Hubbard came up with the idea and he sent down an, an advisor order or whatever to set up a, a corporate liaison office, which is what I, and I was chosen to be the, in charge of that. Um, I was working in the beginnings of RTC. Uh, it was uh, run by a, a woman named Vicki Asnaran and Jesse Prince. And I was brought up uh, and we talked about this in our video. I was brought up to be the audio uh, AVC, authorization 
Optimization, Prevention, and Correction in charge of the unit, which you later worked in as well, right? Right. Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But anyway, I, so I was brought up for that. But so then this this order came down. Well, anytime a new order came down from L. Ron Hubbard, people jumped on it. They got you know we want to we want to get up a compliance to them right away. So you know, Miscavige was looking. Well, who should I have? you know, head up this office and Vicki Asnoran suggested me. And so I met with David and then Shelly, of course, was working with him and I got chosen to do that. And that's, that's when our relationship, you know, started on a daily basis for another six, seven years. Understood. Yeah. And what were your impressions of Shelly working with her on a daily basis? Well, you know, Shelly was dedicated. She was a dedicated Elrond, she believed in Elrond Hubbard, and she believed in his technology and his policy. Right, so right. she she was a diehard as far as that goes, you know. And she yeah. was a stickler. I don't know about your experience with her, but she was a stickler on sticking to green on white, which is the policy letters, or red on white, which was the technical bulletins. Was that yes. an experience like you had working with her? Yes, yes, very much following Hubbard writings to the letter. I, I mean, that's and that's true of a, of most Sea Organization members and most Scientologists, at least. But it definitely at that level, she was uh, one of the toughest on that. Yeah, ex- exactly. Because I'll, I'll bring it up because later on, you know, you know, she 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 did. She was a true believer. She followed that. That's stuff. Right? I didn't have but um i lost you for a sec there anyway um but it in my opinion because i worked with her and i worked with david miscavige right um yeah sometimes she lacked judged in terms of because she would robotically almost go oh well it says it here in the policy letter but meanwhile you had something that was more priority that miscavige ordered or l ron hubbard had ordered that you had to work on so that right. she she'd be pushing something that was lower priority do you know what i mean so she lacked yes. a little bit of judgment in regards to what was important and what wasn't and that was that that came up numerous times when i worked uh worked with her okay understood and and what were your observations yeah and and sorry what were your observations I'm sorry, of shelley's shelley's interactions with dave at that time David Miscavige. Well, I mean, you know, they were a couple. They were married, and I've had people, you know, mention to me, "Oh, were they ever affectionate or anything like that?" They were as affectionate as you could get in the Sea Org. You know what I mean? In in public, right. you know, it wasn't like you know, making out in front of people or holding hands or that type of thing. But you know, I I saw them in their private moments because I. I had a connecting office. My office was connected to theirs, and I, I dealt with uh, Dave and Shelley. I not only handled uh, their administrative stuff, but we also handled their personal stuff, all of their um, their their meals and their um, their their uniforms and their their all, anything having to do with her. I had people that worked. I had I had um, you know female staff that helped handle that stuff. Right, so yes. you know we would see them in their private moments and all that, and you know. They cared for each other. It wasn't like, you know, that, you know, it was a marriage of convenience or anything like that. You know, I, okay. I, I saw tender moments from time to time. But generally speaking, as you probably well know, I mean, when you're in the Sea Org, you don't really have time for that, you know? 
Yeah. Yeah. And I only asked that because during the years that I worked with um, Shelley Miscavige and David Miscavige very closely, I never saw any tender moments or any. Um, yeah, no, I, yeah, I, I, I believe personal, you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so that's why I was curious to hear your perspective from because obviously you we actually we talked about this when we when we did our my interviews with you earlier that like you yeah. were there until 1990. I arrived in 1991. So we have almost between your 14 years and then my 14 years. That's a total of 28 years of observations of Shelley and David Miscavige. <laughs> well, what was your observation of their personal interaction? Just that they did not have, I, 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 I saw signs of that Shelley was increasingly uh, disturbed by David Miscavige's physical abuse of staff. And uh, <clears throat> I was recounting the other day that, uh, you know, I'm sure you knew uh, Jan Sims. Yes. Yes. So <clears throat> Jan Sims had escaped in, I think, 92. Um, and, she, uh -huh. and they could, they were, un, they tried very hard to get her back and they failed. And Jan Sims. She was a friend of Shelley's. She was like she was. probably one of the closer friends of Shelley. Yes. Right. Which is just what, what I was going to say. Um, Shelley and Jan were very close friends. Jan also worked in Religious Technology Center where, yeah. you know, mm -hmm. I didn't work there by, at that time, but I, I I was promoted into Religious Technology Center in 1996. Well, mm -hmm. in, I think, 2002, during the time that I was reporting to Shelley almost on a daily basis, there was an instance where Shelley was obviously very upset. And again, you know, we never really... It wasn't... Being in the C organization was not a format where you expressed grievances uh, right. or even, or even voiced any kind of anything, but nothing, no uh, complaints. <laughs> right. Exactly. But in this instance, Shelly said that she thought Jan Sims was the smart one Uh huh. to have gotten out of there. <laughs> oh, to have gotten out. I get it. <laughs> right. This was, I mean, by this point, Jan Sims had been out of there for eight years and Shelly commented. Well, no, exactly. I mean, yeah. the thing is that, um, you know, there's there's prior to 1990, and then there's after 1990 when it comes to David Miscavige. Yeah, <laughs> you know yeah, I mean? and I, I don't know. I don't. He, know. he became I increasingly yeah. abusive. Yes. You know what I mean? Like we were talking about this the other day. You know, um, you know, we were watching one of the videos or whatever, and yeah. it's like I'm I we got I got to the point where like you know. I, I didn't, I put up for, for a very short period of time. And then I went, he's off the rails. Now I, yes. it got way worse from the stories that I've been told by Amy Scobie and you and Mark and all that. And yes. I go like, wow. I mean, so I'm sure for Shelly, it was the same thing because I'll give you an example. All right. Yeah. I, uh, I had somebody that worked for me in my office, Jason Bennick, and I know you know who he is, right? Yes. And this is like early like 1984, 85, that type of thing. And it was the first time I ever saw Dave go after somebody physically. We were in his office and, and Jason was sitting in a chair across from him at his desk and it was Shelly at her desk and I was just standing there. Right. And, Jason, I don't even remember what he said, but it was something that David Miscavige just did not, you know, he thought it was a flippant remark or something. He yeah. literally came around his desk 
and grab Jason by the shoulders. You know what I mean? And yeah. and Shelly and I both went, Dave, Dave, stop. You know what I mean? Like we literally like, hey, that's not okay. Don't do that. You know yeah. what I mean? And he stopped. He stopped. And so like that was the one time that, you know, like we were like just, hey, that's not okay. You know? Right. Um, and Jason apologized and th- that was over. But then, of course, as you well know, I mean, he got to the point where like, you know, right before I left, he beat me up in the garage. And that's when I went, I'm over this. I'm not, this is not Scientology. Right. And then I was gone. So I'm sure that Shelly got increasingly more and more frustrated with him. That, that makes total sense to me. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, and another time she had commented to me personally that I had no idea what she was going through paraphrased. And again, in a, in a situation where, we did not talk about grievances. We didn't, we certainly, it was absolutely forbidden to say anything negative or even look sideways at David Miscavige. So, yeah. you know, it spoke volumes to me that, um, you know, and honestly, at the time I felt guilty because I was like, my gosh, she's, this poor woman is being put through hell, just like we all are. But, you know, when it's somebody else, you kind of, I don't know, it's, it's tough. And she, she didn't really, did, Jan Sims was really her only friend when I was uh, around her. And yeah. and you really can't call people friends in no. the Sea Org because you don't have time to socialize. But when they had days off, they would go shopping together. They would do things together. I mean, she, you know, she didn't have a lot of people that she would do that with. Right. Another observation when it comes to um, uh, Dave and Shelley's personal interaction, okay, like if they took a liberty, if they took a day off, okay, David Miscavige would not go off on his with his wife to go out to mm-hmm. dinner or go to a movie by themselves. No, he always drag along a whole entourage. I don't know what it's like when you were there, but like was, if if they were the on the day same. off and go to the movies, they took us with them. You know what yeah. I mean? Or they took Mark Yeager and his wife with them or whatever. Um, David Miscavige always had to have an entourage around him. In my opinion, I, that I, that was my observation. He yes. never did things rarely alone. There was one time that I went skiing with him. And at the time it was myself and Larice Stukenbrock, who later became his assistant, right? But we went skiing with Dave on a day off. Shelly wasn't around. She, I don't know what she was doing, but we went skiing at, up at Mountain High. And then what, the funny thing was, is we ran into Arthur Hubbard, LRH's son there too, who yeah. was skiing. But, um, but Small you know world. that was the one time I ever did something alone with Miscavige on a fun basis. Do you know what I mean? Mm, yeah. And uh, but every and the same thing with Shelly. I actually felt sorry for her because they actually didn't really take time together. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. And they had they had the opportunity to do it, whereas other staff did not, because. Mm-hmm. As you well know, I mean, Sea Org members like you and your your husband were separated for long periods of time, and you didn't really even have time let, to eat meals, let alone see each other, right? Yeah. Well, no. Dave and Shelley were together twenty four seven. Okay, right. and uh, when Miscavige wanted to go see a movie, he just up and go and and t- take people with him in the middle of the day or the middle of the evening. You know, it wasn't like oh, there were no rules for him. You know, and I think part of the reason that he took people with him, too, because at the time he was not totally in control. I mean, we're talking L. Ron Hubbard was still alive and this and that. But I think he wanted other people that he could point the finger to and go, yeah, I wasn't the only one. 
<laughs> you know what I mean? In other words, he wanted somebody else to go like, yeah, it wasn't just me, you know? Yeah. He never uh, did that, but I always got the impression that's what he wanted to do. Right, which it's funny you say that because in Scientology, that's mutual out rudiments, meaning you were part of it too, <laughs> so you're not going to rat me out because, hey, we were in, we were in that together. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Because this, I'm talking like this is before L. Ron Hubbard was dead, okay, right. before he died. So the only communication line was through Pat Broker to Hubbard, wherever he was at the time, right? So, yeah. but there were ways that people were trying to get around him to get to uh, LRH. So he did not, you know, he, he was very minding his, uh, minding what was going on, you know. Yeah. But, um my other interactions as far as that the other thing that i remember too about shelly and dave is that you know um uh, david miscavige can make really crude and flippant flippant remarks towards other women you know right. um I, I don't know if you ever observed that or not but like you know shelly would be with him and uh it, like you're in my office right because i we had um two two women that worked in my office um uh, Jeray Rathman, who was Marty's wife at the time, and then she became Jeray Cruzen and Jeray whatever. She handled um, their personal things down in Los Angeles and then okay. would come back and forth to the base. And when I say personal things, I meant their laundry, their rooms, anything they needed, right? And right. also, Shelly could go shopping anytime she wanted. She would just tell Jeray and they would go out together. But they usually was to go get things for for. Uh, Dave or whatever they were doing, right? Yeah. So, um, you know, D D DM would come into our office and make some lewd comment towards Jeray, who was, you know, well-built and all that. And Shelly would just roll her eyes and look like a sad puppy dog and walk back into their office. Of course, Dave would, what? What? You know, like, what did I say? You know? And then yeah. he'd go back in there and she'd be at her computer, like, you know, set hang dog face, you know, rightly so. And he'd come over and he'd, 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 you know, apologize to her and that type of thing. But that happened on a routine basis. Yes. I, I witnessed a, a, a number of instances of that too in later years. Um, like, for example, with Jenny DeVocht Linson. Mm -hmm. And, and his stewards at the Similar time. Similar type of, thing. Yes, very definitely. Um, yeah. Yeah. And, and so so coming back, was there anything else you wanted to cover in terms of your personal experiences with Shelly? Yeah. Well, this is a – look, I I have, you know, the all, utmost sympathy for Shelly. I don't yes. – I wouldn't want anybody to be in the position that she's in now and has been for the last many years, okay? Right. Um, David Miscavige will never let her go, okay? Right. She knows where everything – I mean, she was with him 24-7, okay? And yes. she would be there in the office when they would go over legal things that I wasn't allowed to be in, and they would shut the door, okay? So yeah. he will never let her go, okay? Right. And he will never divorce her for the same reason because all of their finances and stuff – you know, they got married in California. So there's there's claims that she could make if she wanted to. And so that'll never happen. So right. I feel sorry for her for, for that. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Um, but, uh, you know, uh, by the same token, I have, you know, they, she did some things that I just didn't agree with and I didn't like. And um, I don't hold them against her now. But at the time, I was 
pretty upset about it because I don't know about when you were working with her closely or whatever, but she was the person that would literally, if you, if someone was in trouble and they were getting security checked and, uh, which is where they, you know, they get dragged in on a meter and, and question, what are your evil purposes towards David Miscavige? What is this or what is that? Whatever. She yes. would read the uh, knowledge reports would be written from those sessions, okay, of what came up, whatever right. it would be. could be a whatever sexual thing. It could be whatever. To, yes. Yeah. Right. And so so copies of those would be sent up to Shelly, okay? She would read them, and then she would brief DM on them, David, on them. Yes. And it was not above David Miscavige to then the next time he saw that staff member, you know, go over exactly what they what they brought up in session or right. in in, uh, in in the knowledge report yeah. to the point where when I left the, right before I left, he used to make people stand up in front of the whole base at muster. And, and then he would say, here's what this guy's been up to in session and blah, 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 you know, and it was very humiliating. Right? right. And that was another thing that I went like, okay, this is not Scientology. This is not why I got involved in Scientology. I wasn't, I were here to help people, not to humiliate them. Right. right. So I have a little bit of a bone to pick on that because Shelly went through that. The other thing that would go on with those session KRs too, particularly when I was being sec checked, when I was, I got removed, you know, a couple of times where I had to do, you know, manual labor for a while and I was being sec checked and then I'd be put back on my position. Right. Um, if, if she read the reports and she didn't think that you were coming clean, you know what I mean? Yeah. Or you had un- things that had, you know, they weren't gruesome enough over. Oh, she would, you know, send it back and saying he's not come clean. Same thing right. with Miscavige. You do the same thing. Yeah. So in a way and- she enabled, enabled, enabled David Miscavige, some of his bad behavior and True. that, so, that I didn't so- particularly care for. Right. No. And I, I absolutely saw the same things, though, though, from my perspective, Shelley was not the one driving that. Ms. David Miscavige. No, was. no, no, no. Miscavige yeah. was. But, yeah. but you're right. As her, you know, as she worked so closely with him, she was certainly party to what he was doing in terms of humiliating staff publicly. And it's so ironic, speaking of the, you know, confessional reports so somebody confesses and then it's made broad public knowledge um you know so much for priest penitent confidential all the stamps that they put on the folders right on the right on the counseling records that they keep on everybody but the irony to me and obviously you know this as well as i do but then the second anyone leaves scientology they scientology will turn around and use that confessional yeah. <laughs> information against them. Yeah. That's exactly right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's exactly right. And I'm not sure if you, it was, um, I saw a, a Q&A with you and Mark or whatever you were talking about, you know, like when you, a confession or a security check, it, you know, a lot of times, you know, before, if they say, I'm not auditing you, then they go, oh, we, we can use this in ethics, right? But there is also was a purpose, just like a Catholic confessional, where you're yes. supposed to be able to, tell your auditor things that you're not proud of or whatever, get all the details, and then you feel great, right? And then yes. there, there would be a, a, a reality factor that would be given to you by the author saying, basically, 
you're forgiven. I forget what the wording was. You may know because you were an auditor. Yes. And there would be a tremendous relief for the person going like, oh, okay. Yeah. No, it's like by the power invested in me by the by Scientology, you are forgiven for your confessions. There is a there's a Hubbard writing on it. Yeah. I've I've only ever seen that done probably twice. Right. But see, here's the thing. Like you said, Miscavige, you know, bastardizes this stuff, right? Right. Because there never was confessionals. It was always, I'm not auditing you because we want to know so we can use it against you. In other words, they were using the power of people telling, you know, the truth and coming clean to then use that as, you know, data against them you know what i mean like blackmail material whatever absolutely yeah yeah Yeah. Yeah, no absolutely and so back to shelly and to answer your question by the way um in later years she shelly developed a friendship with barbara ruiz who was the head of author services by this point Uh this was in the late 1990s early 2000s um and they spent quite a good amount of time together um at in Gilman Hot Springs, Barbara would come up from Los Angeles and spend time with Shelley. Um, but when Battlefield Earth, the movie, was released uh-huh. and bombed, Barbara was persona non grata after that. Oh, uh, yeah. Well, and I, I was just thinking about this just now when you're saying that. Um, I feel sorry a little bit for her because you probably know too. It's like. It's hard for her to become friends with anybody right. for two reasons. Number one, they'd be afraid, you know, if they got in trouble, you know what I mean? You know, they'd be really close to David and he could he could get them in trouble. But right. number two is Shelly couldn't make friends with people because she didn't know when they next thing you know, they'd be in the rehabilitation project force. They'd just be kicked out or something would go wrong. That's so right. I feel sorry for her for that, too. Yeah. You know? Yeah, and I know that now she has three dedicated handlers. Um, mm-hmm. One of them is Antonella Teasy. I know her. I loved Antonella. She was yeah. my cramming officer, sec checker for, oh, I don't know, the last four months I was there. I loved Antonella. She was yes. such a sweetheart. She is. And I've no doubt that she has become a friend of Shelley. Nonetheless, yeah. I also have no doubt that Antonella equally is under great pressure to keep mm-hmm. Shelley in line and report anything and everything that she observes. Right. And that's, that's, that's par for the course because, uh, you know, Miscavige had handlers watching Mary Sue Hubbard until the day she died. Right. And same thing with Tom Cruise's staff, you know, they hired staff, to, you know, to work for Tom Cruise and yes. those staff, you know, reported directly to Miscavige every day what Tom Cruise was doing. You know, that's right. just his modus operandi. Right. And Shelley oversaw the hiring of those staff, speaking of which. Exactly. And that's the thing. Right. Look, I, I'm not blaming her, but she was an enabler in many ways. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? Meaning that, you know, she, she provided the information that he wanted, you know. And, it, yeah. and again, she would have gotten in trouble if she didn't. But by the same token, you know that I, that was the only rub I had. Now, is she is she left tomorrow? Be happy to help her. You yes. know what I mean. She can come live here Any, in Las anything Vegas. Anything she us. did doesn't justify no. eighteen years of captivity. Absolutely not. <laughs> and also her dedication to L. Ron Hubbard. You know, I I know why he sent her up 
in my opinion, this is my opinion, yeah. up to work at this uh, Church of Spiritual Technology on the, you know, the preservation of L. Ron Hubbard's technology and policy. And it's because, like I said earlier, she totally believed it and totally, you know, L. Ron Hubbard basically was her father figure for many years. And so, you know, to her, that's something that she could do where she not having a lot of responsibility and, you know, could, you know, do her job and feel like she's contributing something valuable in her yeah. mind. You know, I've heard that come up. And honestly, I don't, I don't believe that she's working there. I believe she's, oh, okay. she's just personally, because the convenience of that Church of Spiritual Technology is also that it's way out in the it's up in Running Springs in California, incredibly isolated. And yeah. those factors seem far more applicable to Shelley's scenario than that Shelley was just put off on a special project. In fact, that's that kind of line of, oh, she's working at um at there now, just personally, from what I observed, um, that was always a cover up for somebody who was just being held in captivity yeah and, and that well and then the other thing too the proximity because at right. the time miscavige was either at the gold base or in la so it was very easy to go up to uh you know that lake arrowhead area or, or whatever rim of the world i mean it's, it's only an hour hour and a half drive it's not that far so if you needed to go see her or, or see what's going on and she was right there right. Uh, there were two other things that i thought of too um yeah and, and, and sorry before before you sorry. go on to your two other things just added yeah. comment while we were talking about the that property so other than the Gilman Hot Springs property, that is the most isolated and secure property that I know of. Oh, absolutely. If, hey, it got snowed course, in this year. got yes. snowed in this year. They couldn't get out. <laughs> yes. And so if you're talking about Shelley playing devil's advocate, there's no yeah. way she could be held captive at Gilman Hot Springs. Far too many people had very great respect oh, for yeah. her there. Yeah. yeah. So again, yeah. it serves a secondary purpose. And, I, and again, I'm... Maybe she has a job there. I just don't buy that really for a second. And I do believe she's being held captive. What maybe yeah. maybe she agrees with it and maybe she doesn't. But in this day and age in the United States of America, for somebody to just have vanished publicly like this and, and again, getting back to it, you and I in the years we spent in Scientology, Shelley was always there. She was Yeah always at david miscavige's side so to have always. her just even going banished. around the property right exactly yeah. and at public events at uh you know at the cc galas the the events at celebrity center with all the celebrities she was you know she wasn't ever a public speaker that i know of but definitely she was a known figure in scientology and so the fact that she just vanished and nobody is having even bothering to ask, uh, of course, that it's not. It's not that they're not bothering to ask; they are afraid to ask. And Leah's the yeah. only one that ever stood up and had the the guts to say, "Where is Shelley?" And look, look what happened in that scenario. It's just, exactly. It's just crazy. Anyway, again, these are all things that have expired inspired me personally to be here talking with you today. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> now let me ask you this because I this is the other thing that happened too um, towards the end of my uh, time in the C organization was we computerized. Okay, so we got computers set up and there was this, this is the late eighties. Okay? okay, and we had our own computer network and all that. But you know, 
you guys talk about the Duke of Chug and, uh, you know, on your, on your thing and all that. Yes. Right. But one of the things that they computerized that are based on L. Ron Hubbard, um, advice, you know, advices was orders logging. Okay. And yes. I don't know if you ever dealt with that, but the computer basically was supposed to have no emotion. No emotion, right. basically. If a time machine or if a date was set for an order to be complied with, it had to be complied with, you know what I mean? That That's that's the way the computer would look at it, right? right. Well, Shelley got to be the enforcer of that, okay? So, yes. and like, I, th- I remember Mike Rinder recently said there was like a printer that just was printing out non-compliances all the time, you know what I mean, uh, yes. to all the orders that would be given because Miscavige would give out throw out all sorts of things, right? Absolutely. And at the time when I was there, he wasn't doing that. It was L. Ron Hubbard orders. So you could be working on something that was really hot, really important, but then here's Shelly nudging you on orders that were like stupid. And then basically, you know, they were low priority. And yes. she became the, the she became like basically the police of that system, you know? Yes. So that's where I was talking about earlier about how she had a hard time making judgment because what I disagree with, with L. Ron Hubbard on, on it is, is that a computer should have judgment. It doesn't have to have, it's not black and white. There right. are situations that come up where you have to go like, well, no, we need to change, you know? And yes. uh, that was that was my other observation as far as uh, how she operated uh, dealing with staff members and, and that type of thing. So I don't know if it was like that when you were, when you were there. Oh, it absolutely was. In fact, um, Shelley and Miscavige, David Miscavige, for that matter, had brought up that the computers would flush out people not performing their duties because it was it was uh, unrelenting in terms of uh, like, you know, the, the concept in Scientology of you write reports on anyone not performing, you write reports on anyone, you know, on any transgression, anyone not following their schedule, all of that. And obviously those reports all accumulate in a folder uh-huh. dedicated to your ethics as a as a member of the C organization. Right. And so the concept was that if you're not complying, the computer is going to start spitting out reports on you for not doing that. And all of a sudden it will be very clear who the quote unquote fat ethics files are. Those are the people that are probably suppressives or at, at, the, right. or at the very least potential trouble sources. And the computer is going to do that work for the organization to to figure out who's who are the people that are holding the whole show down. I'll give you, though, the biggest example of that for me personally. And it was the only time that I got upset with Shelly and actually talked back to her and went above her to Dave. Okay, and that was during the when RTC, when when they when. Uh, Miscavige took over the Religious Technology Center and they came in on a mission and they threw out everybody and sent them to the RPF and all that, right? Well, he had me work out the organizational chart, the org board for Religious Technology Center. And I did every department, every valuable final product, every division. I worked all of that out so that there was an inspector general, an inspector general for ethics, for tech, for administration. I that was my job to get that all written out and then formulated, right? As well as the statistics for everybody. I did all that. Okay. So I'm working on that during the mission and here comes Shelly just nudging away on these lower priority stuff that needed to get done, but she just kept nudging me. And then, like you said, 
you know, they would there would be punishments attached to it, like you know, couldn't eat or rice and beans or you know, you, right. no liberty or whatever. Yeah. And I just turned around and you know, when she was nudging me on this thing, and I just blew up at her. I said, "I'm doing what Dave told me to do, and this is the priority." And I could care less about that. You know, like I just I just had it right. Yeah. And and Dave was in the other office, and he could hear me, oh. and he called Shelly over to his office because we had a connecting door. He called right. Shelly over and closed the door. And I, I knew that I just right. <laughs> basically told her, I don't know what he told her, right? But the door cl- opened back up and basically she, without apologizing, she basically let me know that I was doing the right thing, you know? Okay. And that was the only time I ever had, you know, like crosswords with her. Yeah. Understood. And did you ever see <laughs> David Miscavige yell at her or physically abuse her in any way? No physical abuse. Um, okay. Never saw him really yell at her. He'd get upset or whatever. Um, you know, we we also, uh, I took care of, you know, like I said, the room and all that, right? Well, we had we had the job of waking them up for a long time, right? And uh, Jason Bennick was doing it. He did it wrong and he really pissed off Dave and Shelly. But so then I had to do it. Literally, I had to walk into their bedroom and they'd be in sleep in bed in order to wake them up. I mean, I'd never heard of anything like this before. <laughs> and there was a whole technique to wake up David Miscavige. You know, I didn't wake Shelly up. She'd be sleeping there, but they'd let us just walk right into their room. You know what I mean? What and was wake the them technique? up. Technique was. <laughs> Because we were working all hours of the day and night, so we didn't really have a standard set schedule, right? Yeah. And um, their their bedroom was in the lower villa, and our office was in the middle of villa, right? So, you know, if he said, hey, I want to get up at 10 o'clock in the morning, whatever time it was, um, the first thing we had to do is we would he – had, he had a phone line in his room. So I would call his you – know, we'd have to call the room, say, sir, it's time to get up. Okay, thanks, you know, and hang up, right? wait five ten minutes call him again sir it's time to get up Hmm. okay that's fine during that time we're making coffee right making coffee and then the then i literally would have to walk into his room around the bed to his side of the bed put the coffee down and gently gently you know touch him and go and shake him and say sir your coffee's here it's time to get up you know what i mean until he actually got up and sat up and started drinking his coffee I see. You know, and then we could leave, right? But Jason, a couple times, didn't make sure that he woke up. So that's why, that's why he exploded, because he just called twice and then forgot to do the rest of it, you know. But, you know, Shelly be sound asleep. I mean, I'd never heard of going into a married couple's room before doing something like that, you know. Right. Yeah. And during the years that I was there, they didn't, they had separate rooms. Oh, no kidding. Yeah, yeah, that that never happened when I was there. They had um, they had the officers' lounge, right, which yes. used to be Pat and Annie Broker's um, uh, bedroom, and oh. then their room was right next to it, right. And then once the RTC reorganization and they kicked out Pat and Annie and all that sort of stuff, then they made that quote unquote the officers' lounge, but really it was Miscavige's living room uh, with his uh, you know stereo system and all that. And then right before I left, they actually took over another lower villa room to make their closet because they had so many clothes. I mean, yes. David Miscavige, I don't know about you at the time when you were there, but he had. 
a huge collection of Tony Lama cowboy boots. I mean, like yeah. huge. And they, they had they had all sorts of clothes, and all their clothes were tailor made by Mr. Uh, Mr. Lee or whatever. Yes. And um, yeah, he was the guy who did their uniform. So then he had to start doing clothes for them and stuff. So they had privilege. I mean, yeah. you and, know, and even when years, I was that there. That was taken over by Claudio and Renata Lugli from Italy. Oh, yeah. 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 yeah that's right. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. But so they, they, Mr. Lee, I never met him, but I, I, he definitely was there for a few more years after you left. Yeah. So and it's not in. like, and it's not like like people go like, well, what, isn't Miscavige wealthy? He doesn't need to be wealthy. All this stuff was paid for by Scientology. All right. the tax exempt dollars paid for his tailored clothes. You know, his right. shoes that were made in London. All that stuff, right? That was yeah. all paid for. That not to mention bonuses. I mean, we talked about that in my video before too. But you know, Miscavige made sure that he got paid. Okay, a lot of money. So right. when he came over from Author Services and became the chairman of the board of RTC, all of a sudden we got this new bonus system which paid him and Shelley a lot of money, right? Yep. And like whereas and I got money too. I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to lie. I mean, you know, I, a bonus for me would be like 1500 to $2,000. You know what I mean? Like it was a monthly bonus, I think, you know, and that was a lot of money when you're not, you know, everybody else is making $35 or, you know, or not getting paid at all. Yeah. So that's why I was able to stack up money. But yes. Dave and Shelley's bonuses were like seven, $8,000 between the two of them a month. So right. they were making over a hundred thousand dollars a year with no expenses. And right. they did that first. You know, yeah. So yeah, during know, that, the years that, that I was in um, internal exec, so you know, number three mm -hmm. according to Scientology. Oh yeah, you were. So you were over Barbara Griffin. Yes, I was. <laughs> <laughs> Barbara Griffin. Oh boy, I, I gained. Well, she that was, she made sure that Dave and Shelley got paid. <laughs> she did, but also there were a few times, uh, a number of years actually, where I had to prepare and get approved by Shelley all the. Uh, the year-end bonuses, yeah, um, which that was, was a for big a small deal. handful. Oh, that was a lot of money. Yeah, but by the time I was doing that, it was a small handful of RTC, Religious Technology Center staff, but it was carefully constructed so that Miscavige was number one in terms of highest paid, Marie mm -hmm. Stukenbrock was number two, and mm -hmm. Shelley was number three. Oh, wow. Yeah, it was intentionally structured that way so that... Mr. and Mrs. Miscavige were not the top two paid principals in the Church of Scientology. Right. And and see, their bonuses were set up. The, ba the bonus was based on the amount of Sea Org reserves increase versus liabilities, financial liabilities, right? Well, Sea Org reserves went up almost every week because they were just stripping money from the the Clearwater base and from other organizations. And then they would, they would reappraise properties, you know, and assign them yeah. value for SOR. So that Sea Org reserves was constantly going up and that it was like easy money for them, you know? Right. Yes. Interesting. And then of course, later I heard, I don't know if this is true or not, that he actually demanded commissions on donations for the IAS. I don't know. Yeah. I wasn't there for that. So I, don't I know wasn't there for that either. It wouldn't, yeah. wouldn't necessarily surprise me though. I, I, but but I you know, it's the internal exact, they, they were making money. I mean, right. you know, the regular staff weren't, but they were making money. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Interesting. Well, um, in can I ask you a question? Did yeah, you have sure, any trouble with Shelly? Did you have any troubles with Shelly? Shelly, um, 
I mean, obviously I got, you know, she was, she would, I would get in trouble with her a lot. I never, uh -huh. I never considered that she was intentionally demeaning, trying to cut me down, any of that, which right. I very definitely did with some other staff members. Very definitely. Yeah. Like, but Shelly, I never, I always considered her senior to me and a mentor type uh -huh. figure to me. Um, and so even if I was in trouble and she was yelling at me or pissed off with me, which definitely happened on numerous occasions, I didn't really think that she was intentionally trying to be evil per se. I, I no, I didn't either. She was, she was in a very tough spot and catching a lot of flack from David Miscavige and trying her darndest to make things better. That's just personally how I, I observed Shelly. Yeah. And then like, for me too. I mean, she treated me with respect. I never thought she was being mean to me, you know, but by the same token, she would, you know, you know, she, she wasn't happy about something she pointed out, but I had staff, you could do Jackie true, Jackie Wolf or whatever. Yes. She was like, she worked directly with Shelly in my office, handling administrative, you know, typing up things and that type of thing. And I talked down to her a lot, you know what I mean? Like made her not feel like she was doing her job. And, um, or just whatever she just she just didn't treat her very nicely and i'm sh sure jackie would tell you the same thing yeah yeah that that anyway, was my experience right. but again none of my experiences no, nobody should have to live through 18 years of captivity that is right. just insane and that that it's happening today the the question Absolutely. where is shelly miscavige to me truly epitomizes what Scientology is able to get away with in the United States mm -hmm. of America in today's world. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. Anyway. It really is. Yeah. Well, I really appreciate you sharing your experiences with Shelly from the 14 years you knew her. In conclusion, yeah. my question to you is what okay. would you what would you tell Shelly if you saw her today? I tell her to come, you know, there, come live, live your life, you know, experience freedom, uh, that you have many friends and people that you may not have considered to be friends that will open their doors with open arms and help you, you know, yes. and, uh, the aftermath foundation is a good point, but I mean, there's lots of other people that we would welcome her with open arms. You know, I, I, I don't hold any ill will towards anybody that I had rough experiences with in the C organization. Uh, I, I'm sure you feel the same way. I mean, we were all under the same pressure. So right. I, you know, when people come out and it was like, Oh yeah, yeah, I had a bad experience with them. You know, I don't, I don't really have a problem with them, you know? Yeah. Well said. <laughs> and here, here's hoping that day comes where we can tell, tell Shelly that to her face. And in the meantime, yeah. we'll keep talking. <laughs> yeah, that's great. Yeah, that's awesome. Great. Well, thank you again so much for your time today. I really appreciate it. And until next time. Thanks, Claire.